Welcome into another edition of Home Field Advantage. Today's March 15th, 2019. Coming to you live this afternoon. It's pretty mild out compared to the last several episodes where it had been wintertime. We're now officially into spring, sort of, with the first day coming later next week. I uh, got a lot to get to today. Uh, Tuesday when I recorded, I actually went off the year right before uh, two big free agency news um, stories in the NFL, so we'll have that to get to. Uh, we'll also have to get into uh, some updated things and some cool um, little pop culture and um, debate happenings as we head into the, the show. There's, like I said, a lot to get to, as always, um, so I'm happy to have you all listening. Uh, first thing I want to get to is what I didn't get to uh, last uh, last episode, which was uh, Odell Beckham Jr. going to the Browns. Uh, he literally signed with the Browns or was traded to the Browns minutes after I published uh, Tuesday's episode, so we'll get into that. And then Le'Veon Bell went to the Jets as well. That also happened shortly after I got off the air, so we'll talk about what that means for the NFL. So I'd honestly like to start with OBJ because he was the one that had Closer ties to potentially a trade with the Patriots. Uh, it seems like everybody has been trying to go to the Patriots, uh, or the Patriots have been trying to go get everybody, whether that be Golden Tate or Adam Humphreys or Odell Beckham Jr. It seems like they've been in the market for a receiver. So I'd kind of like to start with OBJ. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting locker room dynamic in Cleveland with Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield in the same locker room. Who knows? They they could get along great. There was that photo of them at the basketball game dapping it up, but I'm not sure that uh, that might last long. Although the Rams did make it to the Super Bowl with Akib Talib, Marcus Peters, and Ndamukong Sue on the same roster, so I guess that might not matter as much in today's NFL as it did in the past. But it just seems like it might be a recipe for disaster. And I hope that Hard Knocks goes back and revisits the Browns during the training camp because I think uh, that could be an interesting uh, storyline, those two on the same football field. It could be dynamic or it could be overrated. We'll see. Uh, and then the second is Le'Veon Bell going to the Jets. I think he sat out a whole year for a team that could have made the playoffs. You know, just to make a little bit more money than he would have uh, if he had stayed with the Steelers long term. Um, so I think that that was a little bit foolish. Uh, I don't know what kind of shape he'll be in. I don't know what the Jets are doing going out and getting a running back when they're trying to develop a young quarterback. Some people might say, well, will they want to go get a quarterback so that, I mean, a running back so they don't have to put pressure on their young quarterback? Uh, I don't think Sam Darnold is going to develop if he gets used to an offense where he doesn't have to throw the ball a lot. I don't think that he's going to thrive in a system that doesn't allow him to be who he needs to be and throw the ball like a young quarterback because he has a great arm and he has great instincts. Uh, but if we have Le'Veon Bell in his offense, then he'll you know, utilize Le'Veon Bell and it will be Le'Veon Bell at the center of the offense rather than Sam Darnold. That's just my take on the situation. I'm not sure what the Jets are going to do or what Gase is going to do up there, but 
if I had to make a guess, I would just say that it might not work out well for Sam Darnold if he has to get used to having a running back, you know, and not sharing some of his development with the carries that Le'Veon Bell is going to want or the touches that Le'Veon Bell is going to want. Whereas if they had had a lesser known running back and went out and got receivers, it could have encouraged, uh, it could have encouraged Sam Darnold to throw the ball and to become an NFL quarterback. Uh, that's why I think it would have been wise for them to go get somebody like Adam Humphreys, Golden Tate, or Odell Beckham Jr., or maybe even Antonio Brown, is they'd be able to give him a receiver so that he could develop as a passer and not as a guy who's going to manage the game and hand it off to Le'Veon Bell or dump it off to Le'Veon Bell. So that those are my two concerns with both Odell Beckham Jr. and Le'Veon Bell is what is it going to do in the team dynamic? In terms of what it means for the NFL as a whole, nothing. I don't think the Browns or the Jets are going to all of a sudden become Super Bowl contenders because Odell Beckham Jr. and Le'Veon Bell are on the team. Uh, I d- I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to somehow win their divisions and beat out the Patriots, the Steelers, the Ravens, or even the Miami Dolphins, if they can get their act together with these guys that they have in the field. You know, I just, I'm not going to put stock in a team that wins free agency because the teams that have won free agency have generally not won the Super Bowl the following year. You know, the, the Patriots didn't win the Super Bowl last year because they had a dominant free agent period last last spring. I mean, they lost they lost Deion Lewis, Malcolm Butler. I mean, people would Nate Solder. People would argue that they lost free agency, but yet they won the Super Bowl. And it, it's just not a not a slam dunk that the team that wins the off season or has the best acquisitions is the team that's going to perform best during the regular season. And the same can be said for baseball. Like I mentioned the other night, the Philadelphia Phillies won the offseason, but I'm not convinced that they're going to win the World Series this year. I'm also not convinced that the New York Jets or the uh, Cleveland Browns are going to come all of a sudden get their act together and win the big games that they're going to be put in. Because of Odell Beckham and Le'Veon Bell, they're going to be put into primetime games. I don't think Baker Mayfield's a primetime quarterback yet. I don't think Sam Darnold is either, especially if Baker Mayfield isn't. I think those guys are young, and I think they have a lot to learn. I think that someday those teams will be good. But I just am reading people overreacting to such news because I think they want freshness in the the NFL. They want um, they want there to be interesting things that haven't happened before. They want all that intrigue, and I understand that. I'm just not going to sit here in March and tell you that the Cleveland Browns are going to win the NFC, uh, excuse me, the AFC North because they went out and got Odell Beckham Jr. I'm just not going to. I'm not going to sit here and say that. Um, 
in terms of the Patriots, what this means for them, again, nothing. I think the Jets are going to be a little bit better. I think the Jets that you see this year are going to be about on par with the Jets from 2015. They're going to go 9-7, and seven, and the Patriots are going to go 11-5 and five or 12-4, and four, and you might see the Jets take a game at the Meadowlands, but they're not going to they're not going to win the division because they have Le'Veon Bell. The Steelers couldn't win a Super Bowl with Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and that whole uh, operation. So I don't, I don't think the Jets are going to randomly come and win the division and take it away from the Patriots. In terms of the Patriots offseason, it's been kind of boring. They haven't necessarily picked up anybody that anybody had ever heard of. Um, Bruce Arlington, I think is his name. And they got somebody else. I mean, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't take, I couldn't tell you that these guys are who they're going to be or what they're going to be. I'm not going to, again, just like I'm not going to tell you that the Jets are going to win the division or the Browns are going to win the division. I'm not going to stand here in March and act like I know who these guys that the Patriots signed are. I mean, they'll probably end up being solid, dependable players, but I'm not going to act like it's some sort of huge free agent signing because, honestly, they've had kind of a boring week so far. Tark Brown went to Oakland. Trey Flowers went to Detroit. They tendered John Jones and Josh Gordon. Cordell Patterson's on the Bears. Eric Rose on the Dolphins. And they re-signed um, John Simon, Jason McCourty, and Philip Dorsett. So basically, role guys. And they still got Hogan, Gostowski, Allen, Malcolm Brown, Danny Shelton, Ladron Waddle, McClellan, Humber, and Hill out in the market right now. And um, actually, as I'm reading you this today, Ryan Tannehill will be a member of the uh, Tennessee Titans. That is breaking news that Ryan Tannehill will be a member of the Tennessee Titans. I'm probably not telling you anything you already know because you don't already know because by the time you listen to this podcast, you probably will have gone on Twitter or Facebook and seen it for yourself. But the Dolphins have um, facilitated a trade with the Titans to send Ryan Tannehill to Tennessee. Uh, he will get a guaranteed $17 million from the Titans this season um, per Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. He could have earned incentives of more than $12 million, although if it goes according to plan for Tennessee, I'm reading from the NBC article, uh, Tannehill won't be earning those incentives because he'll be on the sideline behind Marcus Mariota. So again, I mentioned five minutes ago that the Dolphins might be a contender more than the Jets. I no longer believe that. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is not a phenomenal quarterback by any means, but I thought he would have at least made them competitive. He seems to beat the Patriots every year. But there's no reason that I, in my opinion, that I believe that unless the Miami Dolphins go out and get a quarterback, trade up for one in the draft, that they'll be a contender. Uh, so that's breaking news. But as I look back at the Patriots, and again, what all these mean for them, I think as long as the Patriots beat who they're supposed to beat, they're going to win the division again. You know, they got kind of lucky last year. They lost to some subpar teams. 
ended up winning the division, getting that by winning the Super Bowl, they could have easily been a wild card team. But this year, with Brady being a year older, and they seem to be investing in the defense rather than the offense, I think that uh, you'll probably you'll probably see the same old Patriots. But like I said, I think the Jets will be a little bit better than normal. Not better than the Patriots, but better than normal. So those are my NFL thoughts. Unfortunately, I didn't get to, get to them on Tuesday. It's kind of old news now. But I figured I should at least give those thoughts on the uh, NFL offseason and what that means overall, which in all intents and purposes is nothing. So moving on, last time I was on the show, I talked a lot about um, a lot of different things and not a lot of time, and I didn't really get to spend a lot of time in the NHL. I think the NHL is the most overlooked league in the world. It's the most underrated league in the world in all of pro sports. Like I said, I think it's going to be a competitive end of the season. We got Boston, my favorite team, winning six in a row at home, going on a 19-game point streak, and then proceeding to lose at Pittsburgh, at Columbus, and at Winnipeg. But despite all that, they're still four points ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs as of today, before the Maple Leafs play tonight. I believe they play um, they play a road game tonight. I'll have to check on that. But both teams have kind of been skidding, which is good for the Bruins because they're not losing any ground. They gained all that ground, it seemed, when they were going on that 19-game point streak. But Toronto was also on fire during the same time as well as Tampa. So those top three teams in the Atlantic Division, nothing has really changed. The the uh, Maple Leafs will host the Flyers tonight. It's actually a home game. The Flyers are a little bit above average this year, but they're nothing special. Uh, that game's nationally televised on NBC Sports. The Maple Leafs scare me as a Bruins fan, given that Mitch Marner... John Tavares and company are are very dynamic. Austin Matthews as well, when he plays, are very dynamic. And if the Bruins don't get their act together, they could end up playing that series, that inevitable first-round rematch series with the Maple Leafs without home ice. I think that would be terrible, considering what we've seen the Bruins look like on the road the past three nights, or the past three games, I should say. They haven't had this same sense of urgency and the same sense of uh, offensive prowess that they had at home during the winning streak. Although, when they were at the TD Garden during their winning streak, they weren't playing as solid competition, you know, except for the Lightning, of course. Uh, and they were getting a lot of um, wins via comeback, uh, something they've been unable to do the past three nights in their loss, or excuse me again, the past three games in their losses. I'm, I'm just not sure that they can afford to go behind anymore, and I'm definitely not sure they can afford to fall behind in a series on the road against a team that's as potent as the Toronto Maple Leafs. So if you're a Bruins fan like I am, you should be a little bit worried 
that the team who had been playing so well for the better course of six weeks uh, doesn't seem to have the same urgency and doesn't seem to have the same ability to score as they did during that winning streak. Uh, granted, they're playing without David Pasternak or Jake DeBrusque, and they played last evening without uh, Grizzlick or Miller. It's still not a good uh, recipe to have a poor road record, especially given that the NHL playoffs are so up for grabs as it is. You don't want to be an inferior team simply because you can't score on the road or that your goalie can't perform on the road. And that's what I worry about with the Boston Bruins. Secondly, when it comes to the NHL, I think we're underestimating the Winnipeg Jets. And I'm not just saying this because they beat the Bruins last night. They seem to be a team that plays extremely well at home. The Bell MTS Center seems to be a terrible place to play as if you're a visitor. It's very loud. That fan base is in it. They were a couple games shy of going to the Stanley Cup last year. Blake Wheeler's phenomenal player. Uh, when Hellebuck is playing well in net, the, they're nearly unstoppable, although he's had a shaky month. I just don't think you should underestimate the Winnipeg Jets. I think they're hungry. I think if they go play Calgary in a series, that it would actually be a series given that there's not a lot of travel in between those two cities and there's not a ton of uh, love lost there either. So there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to the NHL playoffs, as I've said in the past. But if I'm a Bruins fan, my, my overall warning is to not get too cute because you don't want to be playing a series on the road. And also, if you're an NHL fan in general... Don't underestimate the Winnipeg Jets. Now, speaking of hockey, there's also hockey closer to home. The Hockey East playoffs begin tonight, and as a New Englander, I take interest in those. And I take further interest in the fact that the University of Maine, where I'm from, or Maine, where I'm from, and the University of Maine, uh, as the sixth seed is traveling to play Northeastern, that, that series begins tonight. It's a best-of-three series. And as somebody who likes college hockey, I would uh, take a few picks in the in the first round of this Hockey East uh, quarterfinal. I'd say that Maine versus Northeastern, as much as I'd like the University of Maine to pull that out, I think that Northeastern wins that series. I think number eight UNH at number one UMass. I think UNH has a good chance at winning a game. I don't think they can win two. Number seven, Boston College at number two, Providence. I think Providence takes that game as well. I think Providence is likely the team that will win the Hockey East. I think they could beat UMass. And then you have BU at UMass Lowell, and I'd probably take UMass Lowell there because BU has been up and down this season. And even though BU is the defending champions, I'm not sure how they'll hold up in them when they go up against uh, Providence or UMass or even Northeastern. So I'd say Northeastern, UMass, Providence, and UMass Lowell will take out, will take the um, will take it. Each home team will advance. I just don't see any of the road teams being able to mount, mount a uh, upset over the course of this coming weekend. I'm 
I could be wrong. I'd like to be wrong. I'd like Humane to win. Uh, but I don't think they do. Or I don't, excuse me, I don't think they will. Uh, when I, Speaking of Humane, I just I don't want to go without saying I want to pay respect where respect is due. The Humane women's basketball team is playing in the America East Championship tonight in about an hour against Harford up in Bangor. Or excuse me, actually I'm not sure where that is. I, I think it's in Bangor. I, I should actually double check. Um, but that, that game will be happening uh, tonight. And I wish the Humane women's basketball team well. Uh, Senator Susan Collins actually posted a nice video where she paid tribute to the team the other evening, as well as uh, the Caribou Maine men's or boys basketball team who had their um, who won their state championship, and that's her hometown. So I just want to pay tribute to the to those teams where it's due. I'm checking up on the Humane uh, women's basketball right now. I'm pretty sure they're playing somewhere nearby. Uh, they are playing, yep, they're playing in Bangor at the Cross Insurance Arena. That will be a great, um, that'll be a great uh, matchup for those two teams. And I'm sure there's a lot of excitement up there in Orono about um, about that matchup. Those are my sports thoughts for the day. I know it's shorter than normal again. Dealing with um, constrained time, I want to make the episodes short enough where you can listen to it on the way home from work and not long enough where you feel like you have to devote too much of your time to it, although someday I'd like you to. Uh, the cultural topic I want to talk about just in closing, like I try to do every episode, is uh, music. Uh, I think music is an important part of everybody's life, and I think music is something that everybody likes to do to unwind. And as we near the end of this decade, uh I like to look back as well at the the bands of the decade and who I think are the best musical acts of the decade. And, you know, it, it's tough. It really was tough because, you know, some bands, they've been around a while and they've had success, you know, in this decade. And, that, you know, um, they're not necessarily what I'd call a band of the 2010s. I, I think that a band of the 2010s is maybe one that came on in the mid to late 2000s and really took off in this time period and you know I'm just I thought of 10 I mean really there's really 11 I have an asterisk next to one because I'm not sure if you'd call it a band or call them a band um you know but I I think far and away the best band of the decade is Imagine Dragons I think they had probably the best presence in the billboard list I think they've had countless hits I mean, if you just think through the years of all the commercials you've seen that have had Imagine Dragons songs in them, I, I think that, you know, between Radioactive and It's Time, the early stuff, even now with Whatever It Takes or Natural or uh, Thunder or, or any of these, it seems like Imagine Dragons songs are always at the points in culture where they're easily seen, easily noticeable, and everybody enjoys them. I think sometimes it can get overkill, but without a doubt, I think Imagine Dragons is the best band of the decade. And I think when the decade closes in about nine months, I think uh, most people will agree that 
Imagine Dragons is the best band of the decade. In terms of the others, it's really it's hard to say after that. Uh, the next one that came to my mind is 21 Pilots. I'm not a huge 21 Pilots guy, but I think that they too have found success in this decade. They got together in 2009, and you know they, they seem to be in that sort of pop rock alternative uh, arena with a lot of the other bands I thought of, and, and I just think that they have a good enough following. Uh, Mumford & Sons, it's hard to forget about what they did at the beginning of the decade. Uh, they kind of took that um, banjo, buskin genre and brought it back. Um, they've since gone away from that a little bit with their last two albums, but their first two albums were, I mean, worldwide hits. Uh, so it's hard to forget Mumford & Sons. Uh, I also think The Fray is good. I mean, how many times have you watched a sad movie or a sad TV show uh, and a song by The Fray has come on? I think The Fray is has been able to tackle subjects in, matter, in, in, in matters that not a lot of musicians want to talk about. They talk a lot about suicide. They talk a lot about depression. They talk a lot about things in a musical way that resonates with people uh, on an emotional level. So I think The Fray has just had widespread success in that genre as well with some of their soft rock. And similarly, I feel the same way about Daughtry and the script. I think Daughtry is, you know, a band that has kind of come and gone a little bit and then come back. Uh, their, their music isn't as mainstream as it was at the early part of the 2010s, but I think that they are uh, still a force within that soft rock genre. I mean, they've kind of become like the likable Nickelback in a way. Uh Similarly, the script, and you know, they've kind of taken a little bit of that uh, European British Isles pop and brought it to America. You know, they've had some catchy songs that have gotten popular, you know, like uh, Hall of Fame. I think that's been played at sporting events a lot, and I think um, the script has had success too, like The Fray, with some of the more emotional subject matters. They've talked a lot about poverty and drug addiction and things that really pull at the heartstrings of your everyday people in a, in a relatable way and in a way that's still appropriate for kids to listen to. So I think the script has had success in that genre as well. I mean, they too have kind of fallen off toward the end of the decade. Uh, One Republic, I think similar to the script in um, to 21 Pilots, they kind of have that sort of poppy but still alternative feel to them. I think what really um, helped One Republic come to fame, even though they were a band throughout the 2000s, was toward the end of the 2000s when Timbaland uh, did the cover of Apologize, which was their song. I think that really gave them name recognition, and since then they've had a lot of their music been in movies. I'm thinking of things like Counting Stars or... Um, Secrets or Good Life I Lived, some of their hits from the decade have have really sort of been in conjunction with other moments of the decade. Uh, it reminds me in a way of the Mad Men episode, if you've seen the show Mad Men, where uh, Don Draper is the protagonist and he's showing a bunch of ad executives um, a pitch for 
the Kodak carousel, and he's saying that uh, the Kodak carousel, which was a photography product, is sort of a, a way to look back at the forward, sorry, look back at your past and also look forward to your future. And I think music in this decade has kind of taken that on. It's a lot of times you, you can associate, especially people who are in their 20s like me, you can associate the 20, your 20s or your teens with songs by these bands. And I think One Republic did a really good job of doing that. Um, so when it comes to like that pop and the rock, those bands are the ones that really stick out. I think they're able to, as Draper said in the, in the uh, show, they're able to make you think of distinct memories in time and kind of get that nostalgia in a way that um, some music cannot. Uh, the one I had asterisk with an asterisk was um, Migos. I think Migos kind of took off toward the end of this decade, but I'm not sure I'd call them a band. They're kind of an act. They're kind of like a hip-hop R&B act. It's sort of blending the line between hip-hop, rap, R&B, and pop. I think... They're certainly talented, but I'm, I'm I'm not sure I'd call them a band. So that's why I have an asterisk next to them. I think they've certainly done a lot for their genre and for um, the widespread adaption of their or adoption of their genre. I'm just not sure I'd call them a band. So that's why I have an asterisk next to them. And then the other two I had were country bands. I think the Zac Brown Band has really taken over where some of the early country bands from our childhood left off. Uh, I think the Zac Brown band has filled a void of the country music band that didn't really exist in this time period as a lot of country artists were solo artists. So I think they filled a void. And similarly, I think Florida Georgia Line has done the same. Uh, I think Florida Georgia Line, much like... Um, one Republic or Daughtry or even uh, the Fray have been able to talk about your usual everyday life scenarios, but with with a country feel and with a pop feel. And I think Florida Georgia Line has blended the line of country and pop well enough where they can get mainstream adoption. And they've had a lot of success. I mean, they opened up with Cruise, and then they've had Anything Goes. They've had, um, you know... Uh, well, what's the one? Holy, H-O-L-Y. They've got uh, God, Your Mom, and Me. I mean, they've had a plenty of songs that have blended the line uh, between pop and country, but have also, like those other bands I mentioned, highlighted parts in people's lives. Um, so I think Florida Georgia Line is definitely deserving to be in the top 10 slash 11 bands of the decade, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what you all feel, uh, you know, and as, as we continue to go out through 2019 and, and round out the 2010s, I, I'd like to look, take the time to look back at this decade and, uh, not just in music and pop culture and sports, but other things, uh, things that have really, um, things that have really marked the decade because, you know, CNN does those documentaries about the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, but they probably won't make a 2010s for a while. Uh, so I think it's important, you know, always look back. Uh, I think history can teach us lessons. I've been saying that since the first episode, for those of you that have listened. Um, so I really am 
you know, grateful to have had, you know, the opportunity to listen to some of these musics and have musical artists and musical acts and have them, uh, have them reflect, uh, kind of my adolescence and my adulthood. And I think that's pretty cool, uh, that music can do that. And I think it does it for a lot of people. If you ask our parents and our grandparents, they'll probably say the same thing about their eras. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, something not to take for granted and, to enjoy while it lasts um, because there'll be a day I promise when you know our children and grandchildren won't have, an, won't have any idea who Imagine Dragons are other than that that could be considered classic rock I know how crazy that sounds but it could be so just as we look back and just don't take anything for granted if that's you know what you what, whatever you want to take away from from the music end of it it's just um, to appreciate these artists you know, and, and don't give me a hard time. I, you know, I didn't include solo artists and I didn't include, you know, bands of the 2000s. You know, I didn't include Maroon 5. I didn't include Bowling for Soup. I didn't include U2. I didn't include, I mean, I, I didn't go there. Um, but that's not to say those bands weren't influential. But in terms of bands of this decade, uh, those were the 10 or 11 that I came up with. So I appreciate you again listening to another short episode of Home Field Advantage. And I hope you uh, stay dry as we might get some rain. Enjoy the warm weather this weekend. Have a happy St. Patrick's Day. And uh, definitely enjoy enjoy spending time with um, your loved ones and your friends and family. And, you know, as we get forward into the baseball season, as I've always said, we'll be talking more about that. Uh, and we'll always, as I said, try to throw in a little cultural thing at the end, too, of all the episodes. So once again, thanks for listening today. This is Home Field Advantage.